If you're an accredited investor looking for an incredible opportunity to invest your money, I have exactly what you're looking for. I have put together a fund where we are loaning money to fix and flip investors for their investment properties. And I'm looking for investors right now. We provide steady income for our investors. We are focused on capital preservation. We have minimum target of returns that we plan on giving back to our investors. And this opportunity is incredible. Like I said, this fund is lending to the best of the best. And we're looking for people to come aboard and be investors and go along for the ride as this thing grows. I'm super excited about it. Right now, we're only talking to accredited investors. So if that's you and you want more information, reach out to me at mike at juststartrealestate.com and I will get you all the information. Guys, this fund is amazing and we are so different from everybody else. And one of the biggest differences, we don't just lend money to anybody. Anybody who comes along with an application doesn't get money from us. You have to have a track record. We have to know that your business is strong and healthy. And that's who we lend to because our commitment to our investors is that we will protect their money and we will give them consistent, reliable returns. Guys, if you're interested in this and you want to come along on that journey with me and my company, reach out to me now, mike at juststartrealestate.com. I cannot wait to talk to you. I, I probably lost about $3 million because I didn't get started. So I don't know. I've never had more than a $3, $3 million mistake in real estate. So I guess my biggest mistake was not getting started. That, that cost me more than anything that I've done or not done since. So. If you're sitting around and, and you've been wanting to get into real estate for a while and you just haven't got it done, you have to start. You have to start. And then start means start making offers, like get out there and go for it. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on the Just Our Real Estate Podcast. I am excited to have you here. And I've got another live Q&A replay for you that is uh, really, really awesome. It was a great one. We had a really lot of good questions, actually, uh, as we always do. But uh, these were just some fun ones for me. And I think we had uh, some good conversation. Uh, we talked about, among other things, the uh, Burr method, which is a big topic for a lot of people. They want to know how that all works. And uh, I was getting questions about that. Uh, some limiting belief questions and how to kind of shake yourself out of those limiting beliefs that stop all of us from time to time. Uh, we talked about accountability partners and what that can mean for your business. And then I uh, had a gentleman on that was asking a bunch of wholesaling questions, very specific wholesaling questions about what to do if you have trouble selling a property that you get under contract and how does it all work and what do the sellers say and how mad do they get and all that stuff. So it was really, really fun and, and good stuff. Uh, right in my wheelhouse stuff I love talking about. So uh, I can't wait for you guys to dive into that. Also, uh, I mentioned that this was uh, in this um, replay, I mentioned that I was in the last week of my my program, uh, previously called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. Uh, I have sort of restructured that a little bit and um, I don't want to say rebranded it. We renamed it really and just sort of added some stuff that wasn't in there to try to make it even better this time around. It's called the Real Estate 
find and fund blueprint now. So the real estate find and fund blueprint, because as I went through this first iteration of the course, I, I learned things. And as we do as business folks, I always try to get better. So I realized that finding deals and then funding them dominated the questions, the concerns. And I felt like maybe that that area of, of people's business need a little bit more attention than I was giving it. So uh, we're still going to talk about a lot of things in this course. We're going to talk about building your business, uh, not only through finding and funding deals, but how to structure it, how to build your team, how all of that works. Uh, but we're going to put a little added emphasis on finding and funding because ultimately those are the two pillars, right? Those are the pillars that you need as a real estate investor. You need to be able to find great deals. And then for most of us who are like flipping and, and buy and hold and that kind of thing, we have to be able to fund them. And even as a wholesaler, I'm a wholesaler, I still need to fund deals sometimes. So it's a critical two pillars that we have in our business. And I think it needs to be addressed. So if you're interested, you can go to the findandfundblueprint.com. So don't put the on it. It's just findandfundblueprint.com. And you can sign up. You can read all about it. You can get involved. I highly suggest you do. We really need to focus in on our businesses as business people right now so we can make a real impact before the end of the year and feel good going into next year. So join the program. Let me help you get to your goals. Okay, guys, without any further ado, I give you the latest version of the live Wednesday night Q&A on Facebook. Here we go. All right, here we go, guys. I am back. Uh, I'm happy to be here with you. Like I said, this was the final week of the first run of the Business Fast Track Blueprint. If you want to check that out, you can go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com. I'm happy to have you check out the next uh, launch of that, which will be on September 7th. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I learned a lot myself in terms of what exactly everybody wanted, right? I made a program. Uh, I think it was awesome. I think people really got a ton out of it. But as you go through anything that you do for the first time, you you find ways to improve it. And so we're making those improvements on the back end right now. We're adding some stuff that wasn't in there before. We're just sort of tweaking some things that we could do a little bit better. And uh, it was just a blast. So uh, I was like one minute late to log on here. And I apologize for that. Uh, but I'm happy to be back, guys. You know, as you know, we do this Q&A every week from uh, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I am here for you guys to answer your questions. Uh, if you're not in my program, if you didn't get to be part of that, this is the next best thing. You're here with me. You can ask questions. I can help you. I can talk to you. And I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to interact with you guys and, and answer those questions. And you send them in to me still. Um, we do get people logging on and asking, obviously. And that's growing every week, which is great. Getting more and more engagement in this. That's really what I want. The more, the merrier. Uh, but you guys guys do send me stuff offline all the time through email and you know DMs and, and Facebook messages and stuff. So I get those questions. We put them all together in one place and I answer them here for you every Wednesday. So let's dive into it tonight and see what we have. <clears throat> Sometimes I can, uh, uh, let's see. Sometimes I can uh, peek at them before I hop on. But like I said, I literally got off uh, my call with my with my students and jumped on here like immediately and was like scrambling to get everything set up so I could talk to you. So I have not looked at these. So I'm going to look at them now and see. Okay. First one's a long question. I'm looking to get started in wholesaling and would love to pick your brain for guidance on this journey. A couple of general questions. What happens when you're running out of time and can't find a buyer? 
would I be responsible for purchasing the purchasing the property then, or is it uh, is there a stipulation in the contract? And how do you go about explaining that situation to my seller if I have promised him a cash deal on the house? <clears throat> okay, so here. I could literally spend an hour on this question because it's a good question and there's a lot of stuff to cover. But here's what I'll say. If you're running out of time and you haven't found a buyer, you have a couple of options. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why maybe you can't find a buyer, but that's a whole, maybe a whole different conversation. But you you can and should go back to the seller before that time expires and let them know that you need an extension. And you would be well served to do that ahead of time if you get a property under contract that you don't know for sure that you can find a buyer for because maybe the price is a little higher than you wanted to spend or think you should spend or whatever. You might want to, you might want to, you know, kind of broach that subject when you're signing the contract to begin with or sign a longer contract, make it a little bit longer term so you don't have to run back to them um, so quickly. But if you haven't found a buyer, it's usually because one of two major reasons. Number one, you got the property under contract too high. You just, you, you signed it for too high of a number and nobody wants it. Or, and, or maybe it's both, you, your buyer's list just isn't that great. It's not deep enough and you don't have enough buyers on there. So the one of the best cures, assuming that your contracts that you're getting are at the right number, you know, you're getting them discounted enough. Um, increasing your, you know, growing your buyer's list is probably the best way. It's probably the way that we have um, been able to avoid that kind of thing uh, of running out of time because we just, we build our buyer's list up so that it's strong enough so that if my normal buyers aren't interested, I've got other buyers, right? And you're always kind of like bringing in new buyers. So I think the buyer's list being a little stronger and maybe setting up expectations in the beginning. And then, at the last question is, how do I go about explaining that situation to my seller if I promised him a cash deal on the house? So you have to be careful about promising. Now, if we get a deal under contract that, let's just say our max allowable offer on the house is $100,000 and we get it for a hundred, I'm sorry, and we get it for like $85,000. Let's just say we got a really, really great great deal, right? Like we were able to negotiate it down and we got it much lower than we thought we would get it. Well, I might be more inclined to make promises at that point that we're going to be able to, to buy it, right? Because in a lot of cases, at, at the point that we are now in our business, we have the funds, we'll buy it. If we don't find a buyer and we know it's a, scream, a screaming good deal, we'll buy it. So if I know I can buy the house and I would buy the house if I can't find a buyer for it, some other buyer, if I'll buy it, I'll make, I'll make promises all day long that we're going to buy it. But if I'm a newish investor and maybe I don't have the funds to buy it or any way I can like legitimately buy this house myself, and I'm not sure if my buyer's list is very good or I don't have a buyer's list, I am not making promises to that seller. I'm signing the contract, but I'm setting expectations. And by the way, sellers usually get upset with wholesalers because the wholesalers under prompt over-promised and under-delivered. So they end up making all kinds of crazy promises that they don't know if they can, they can fulfill. And then that makes the seller mad when they come back to them. So if you set the seller's expectations properly and you say to them, for example, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, uh, I was prepared to pay you $90,000 for this house, but you, you must get you know, a hundred, like that's just your number. And you, you don't want to get anything lower than that. I understand 90 was my number. Um, but 
listen, what if we sign the contract for a hundred and I go to bat for you with my investors and I try to convince them and make them see what you see and that this house is worth more than what they may think. Give me a couple of weeks. Let me do that. And I'll come back with some good feedback for you. And if at that point, my investors aren't comfortable with that number and you can't lower it, then we can just walk away as friends. Otherwise, I'll come back to you and just give you good feedback. And I'll say, hey, listen, um, you know, my investors won't do 100, but they'll do 95. And maybe I'll, we'll have that conversation. Or maybe I'll come back to you and say, hey, I talked to my investors. We took another look at this. Turns out 100 might work for us. We're going to go ahead and move forward. Like All those things are possible, but I'm setting that seller up for the possibility that I'm going to come back to them and either need more time or need a reduction. But it's all about setting them up in the beginning for that. And if you do that effectively, you won't have to worry about them being mad at you. And if you get, you know, build your buyer's list and make sure you're getting these properties at the right price, you won't have to worry about not having a buyer, right? So those are the kind of things that I would I would tell you in that situation. <clears throat> okay. Would you explain the Burr method? <laughs> you're explaining it to me, but would you explain the Burr method by rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. What type of loans are required for this type of investing? We have a couple of recent podcasts or see, we have a couple of, okay. So some recent podcasts that, that they listened to that were dealing. Okay. Got it. Okay. So the Burr method, you, you spelled it out here. It's buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So you're buying the property typically with like hard money or maybe your own personal money or a partner's money or something like that. You're buying it with temporary money. You're renovating it, you're getting it rented, and then you're going to a more institutional kind of a lender, maybe a bank. If you have a W-2 job, a lot of times um, that's a great option is going to a bank. They Banks will typically uh, finance like up to eight or 10 uh, properties if you have a W-2 job. So maybe the refinance part is going to an institutional like a bank and getting it refinance for 30 years at a low interest rate. And then they're cashing you out or cashing out your temporary uh, money investor. And then you use that money to go out and do the next one, right? So the, the idea here is that you're buying it undervalued. You have to buy it at a discount for this to work, really. So you buy it at a discount, you renovate it, which is raising the value. You get a renter in there, you refinance it out. And typically these institutions are only going to refinance it out at like 80 or 90%. That's why you need to buy it at a discount and make improvements to it. So you buy it at you know 80 and you put 20 into it. And maybe once you do that, it's worth, you know, whatever, 130 or 140. And then the banks will give you your, you know, your 90 back out of it or your 100 or whatever it is you invested. I already forgot my own numbers, but whatever it is, they give you all that money back because they'll only loan you like 80 or 90% of the actual value of the house at that time. But you've raised the value, right? And you bought it at a discount. So then you get all your money back give it back to your short-term lender or keep it if it's your money and you take it out and redeploy, redeploy it into a different house and you do the same thing. You buy it undervalued at a discount, you renovate it, raise the value, put a renter in there, refinance it out with institutional or long-term financing, get your money back out and do it again. That's, that's basically the Burr method. It's all it is. <clears throat> it's been happening for decades, but it's just like in the last handful of years has been like labeled the Burr method. So- that's what that is. Okay. When you are coaching people just trying to break into real estate investing, what common limiting beliefs do you encounter? And what is your advice for overcoming those? Limiting beliefs uh, that they need to know more before they can get started. You, you almost 
surely don't need to know more if you've already been studying and trying to learn real estate investing and you've been listening to podcasts like mine or you've been going to bigger pockets or you've been going to meetups and talking to people for a while like most people's limiting belief is that they need to be more of an expert before they get started <clears throat> you can get started with little knowledge and then build on that knowledge you should always be learning right so I'm always learning. You should always be learning, reading books, taking courses, whatever, joining masterminds. Like you should always be learning, but you can get started to, you know, to, so if you're trying to get from A to Z, you don't have to know how to get from A to Z. You have to know how to get from A to B. And then when you're on B, you have to know how to get from B to C, right? You don't have to know everything to start. You just have to know what you have to know to get started. So um, one of the limiting beliefs is thinking they have to be more of an expert. Um, the other limiting belief is, it's the wrong market. The market's too hot. The market's too cold. The market's too competitive. The market's not competitive enough. Like there's always the market is, is a big limiting belief. They, they think there's something going on in the market that's keeping them from being able to get started. The market is what the market is. In other words, right now, some people might say um, the market's good. Some people might say the market's bad. You know who would say the market is bad right now? It's people trying to buy houses at a discount. It's tougher now because it's such a seller's market. But you know who would say the market's good? Rehabbers who just finished a rehab and they're getting ready to put it on the MLS. They're going to say the market's good because they're probably going to get more for the house than they even thought they were going to get when they originally analyzed it. So the market isn't good or bad. And so people use that excuse like, oh, the market's bad. I'm not going to get into real estate. The market's not bad. The market just is what it is, right? It's like nighttime isn't bad. Morning time isn't good. It's just, it is what it is. It's, it's either dark out or it's light out. Some people like nighttime. Some people like morning time, right? So it just, it, it just is a, is a condition. It's not a good or bad condition. And so people use that. So thinking they need to know more, thinking the market is the wrong time for them to get into it. And then thinking that they need to have a lot of money before they get started. You don't, you don't need a lot of money. You don't really need any money when you get started. There's so many ways to get funding for your deals. And so money stops people a lot. Like they think they need a lot of money and it just isn't the case. Um, most people I know who are in real estate and have had a lot of success, they didn't have money when they started. So money is a big limiting belief. There's a million of them, but those are probably the, the big ones that come to mind right now. Okay. You have talked about the importance of telling everyone that you want what you want to do when trying to raise capital. Can you give us some examples of how you broach the subject of raising money for your business to people? Okay. So I think this is, okay. So raising private money, the number one way to raise private money is to not go out and like try to raise private money. The best way to do it is to talk about what you're doing in your business. If you're a house flipper, for example, talk about the houses you flipped, take video before and after video, do walkthroughs where you're like explaining what you're going to do to a house that you haven't done it yet. And then when it's done, <clears throat> walk through and talk about what you did and why you did it and how that added value and what your next project is going to look like and talk about what your plans are for growth. And what is your company going to do next year that it didn't do this year? Like just talk, talk about what you're doing. Try to be as, and you don't have to be even entertaining. You have to be a documentarian. You have to document what you're doing and, and just get that word out there. Like tell people, tell everyone who will listen exactly what you're doing. That is the number one way to raise money. If you know somebody who has money and you want to raise money from them, 
Talk to them about what you're doing. Ask them for advice on how to raise money. It's like one of the most ninja things I've ever heard. And honestly, I can't remember who told me this, but it always stuck with me. The saying is, ask people for money and you're going to get advice. Ask people for advice and you're going to get money. So what I suggest is if you have a friend, family, colleague, coworker, somebody you just know who has money that you think might be interested in lending, approach them and just tell them, listen, I'm... I have this real estate business. I'm flipping houses or I want to flip houses. And I'm going to be approaching people to talk about being a lender for me. And I know that you are a very successful person. I highly respect you. If you don't mind, would you mind if I just told you what I plan on telling those folks and how I plan on approaching them? I would love to get your feedback. I would love to get your advice on what you think that I'm doing well or or not well and go from there. And, and it's very disarming and it's very, it's very indirect way of asking someone to listen to your pitch because they have money and you want to borrow it where they're just listening to it as an advisor. I, I want your opinion. I, I value you. You're a successful person and I would love to get your feedback so that I know what I'm doing right and wrong. And you give them your pitch and see what they say. And you may just get advice, but it's possible if they like you and you really you know, have something going on that they might say, Hey, you know, your pitch could use some work. And maybe I would say this and this, but Hey, listen, tell me more about it. I want to know more about this. I might be interested. It it happens. I'm telling you it happens. If you go to someone just straight up asking for money, you're going to probably get a lecture about, you know, how to approach people or something. So I've always liked that saying, ask for money. You're going to get advice, ask for advice. You're going to get money. So try that approach. Just talk, get out there and tell people what you're doing. Number one, like just, just tell people what you're doing. Okay. Have you ever used accountability partners in order to reach particular goals? Do you have some thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I do. Um, when I first joined Seven Figure Flipping, which is the mastermind that I joined back in 2015, and I'm still, you know, I'm still involved with now. Um, I'm actually on their board of directors. When I joined Seven Figure Flipping, it was a group of of real estate investors, people who are running in real estate investing companies that had a decent amount of success. Most of them had a decent amount of success. We held each other accountable. We talked all the time. We met every four months. We had a Facebook group where we would you know, tell everybody what our goals were and put them out there in public and and hold each other accountable to that. So, and I, and I had a partner at the time too, I still do, but I, I had had a partner back then. So we would hold each other accountable but that mastermind, and that's what masterminds, one of the things are great for is accountability. We would hold each other accountable. We would make these lofty goals. And then, you know, we would we would hold each other to it and kind of give each other good natured ribbing if we weren't getting there or if we were stalled out or whatever. But then we would also help each other. <clears throat> so I think accountability partners are huge. Um, the seven-figure flipping group, now we have like formal accountability um, like meetings, like we, we have accountability programs that we, you can opt into and you'll be put with a small group of people who will like every week they'll meet, you'll meet with them and, and we'll hold each other accountable. So I think that's a, that's a big component. And I think you can have groups like masterminds that will hold you accountable. You can also, you know, I was just telling my, um, my, my um, program students that if you want to be accountable it's great to tell a community because they'll hold you accountable and they'll lift you up and they'll help you. But tell the person in your life who will call you out on your BS. Like tell the person in your life 
who's not afraid to hurt your feelings, who will call it like it is. Tell them what your goals are. Tell them what you want to do and ask them to hold you accountable. Tell them you want to be called out if you're not getting it done and you don't want them to listen to any excuses. You tell that person who's ruthless and will just call you out and call you to the mat. That's great accountability because that's painful. The person who will 100% call you out on your crap and not let you get away with it. That's the person you want to put, you know, in the, in the position of, of being, you know, your accountability partner, because they're going to really, really help you more than anybody. Probably if you really are dreading that, that razzing or dreading that, you know, being called out, you know, so pick the person who will call you out. Like, don't make that person, your mother or somebody else who's going to maybe make excuses for you and be really, really nice about it. Make sure that you, you do it with somebody who will like really get tough on you and, and watch how much that can help you. Um, I think that's a huge, huge advantage that some people have. Okay. Next question. If you were starting out today, what type of real estate investment would you be, would you make between flipping single family and multifamily? So when I started, I started with single family and I was flipping. Is this such a personal decision? And there's so many variables that I would have to talk to this person and say, like, well, how much time do you have? What's your budget? How much access to capital do you have? Like, do you have time to learn something? Like, uh, and how much time do you have to learn? So there's a lot of variables that go into that. Um, so I would say for most people, single family feels safer. And so they start with that. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, multifamily can be a great place to start too. If you have the right guidance and you surround yourself with the right people, there's, it's, it can be a little more, a little bit more complicated in terms of the team that you have to put together and the variables involved. And certainly the money is bigger. So, you know, if I'm talking to someone who's new and they want to get started, if they're like super, super aggressive type A, and they've been in the, you know, high finance and they're, they're used to multifamily stuff and they have that, they know the language and they get how to do a lot of that stuff. Maybe that's where they would start. But for most people starting single family, um, starting with rentals or flipping is a pretty good way to get started. Wholesaling too, really. I think wholesaling can be tough. It's got, it's got challenges that people don't always anticipate. Like a wholesaler, a wholesaler's client are house flippers and landlords, right? That's who you're ultimately selling houses to. So you sort of have to know how they look at properties and how they analyze properties. And if you've never done it, you either have to learn that, or maybe you should start off as a flipper. So you kind of get and understand that world. One of the advantages I had when I switched from flipping to wholesaling is I had flipped for so long that I knew how house flippers analyze properties. So when I was marketing my properties to house flippers, I knew exactly, I could speak their language. I could evaluate the renovation costs. I knew how they like analyze the property from a, from a value standpoint. So it helped me and it gave me a little bit of an advantage over my competitors because I had been in that world. And so don't discount how helpful it can be to really understand your client's mindset and the way they look at properties because it does help. So from that standpoint, you know, maybe starting off as a single family flipper or landlord could be, depending on what your goals are, is like passive income and like not needing a ton of money all at once. 
then maybe maybe uh, rentals is good because you just start buying rentals slowly but surely you build that up over time and next thing you know you can retire because you got all your your um your costs covered if you need bigger chunks of money or want bigger chunks of money then maybe flipping is more appropriate for you but i think those two are the to me the best ways to start single family flipper or uh, or landlord okay I do not have enough cash for a down payment on my first investment property. What other ways can I get a deal funded? So depending on what you're trying to do, house flipper, landlord, wholesaler, wholesalers don't need to buy the property, but let's just, it sounds like a flipper. So let's assume this is a flipper. Um, There's hard money lenders that will give you the money, but you're specifically talking about the down payment. For the down payment, you for sure could friends and family, right? You could raise the money from private investors, talk about what you're doing, go online, like talk to everybody, you know, and cause it's a lot easier to borrow the down payment money than it is to borrow the purchase money, depending on what market you're in. <clears throat> it could be a lot, right? So the house might be quarter of a million dollars and maybe the down payment is, you know, 20,000. So 20,000 is a lot easier to borrow. It's a lot less painful for someone than, 250,000. So borrowing it from a private investor and building those relationships and getting out there and talking about what you're doing is one way to do it. Now, if you're in a hurry and you're like, no, 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 I have a deal right now and I don't have the down payment. What do I do? There are companies out there that will do what's called gap funding. And gap funding is really exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's the down payment. It's the difference between what a lender will give you and what you need to close the deal. That's gap funding. So if you just go into Google and type in gap funding for real estate, a million places will come up and you can just pick one of those. But there are companies out there, they specialize in exactly what you're talking about, the down payment, the gap funding you need to get the deal done. So you can just Google that. I don't have any recommendations. I've never used gap funding, but that's what it's for. Um, But your best bet is to really spend the time and the effort to find private investors who will fund the whole thing. Like that's that's really the way you want to go. Okay. what is an investing mistake you made that you want to make sure no one else does? Uh, the biggest mistake I ever made in real estate was, you know, this sounds like it's, uh, it sounds cliche, but it's true. I didn't get started. I decided in 2003 that I wanted to be a real estate investor. And I bought my first house in 2008. So I spent five years making excuses, educating myself, um, being afraid of failing, being afraid of making mistakes, like procrastinating. And so I've done the math. If I look at what my company makes now and I apply for the last five years and I apply that to the five years where I wasn't doing anything and I was just making excuses and being afraid. And then I adjust for learning curve and trying to get up and running and like everything. But still, if I apply that, that revenue now to the first five years in terms of like, what did I actually lose? I, I probably lost about $3 million because I didn't get started. So I don't know. I've never had more than a three, $3 million mistake in real estate. So I guess my biggest mistake was not getting started. That, that cost me more than anything that I've done or not done since. So if you're sitting around and, and you've been wanting to get into real estate for a while and you just haven't got it done, you have to start. You have to start. And then start means start making offers, like get out there and go for it. And if you're really nervous and you really want support, you should join a mastermind like Seven Figure Flipping. There's a, a, an event coming up in October called Flip Hacking Live. You should be there. Uh, you can go to Best Real Estate Event 
event.com, bestrealestateevent.com. It's a three-day event. You should be there. You should go to it and, and you can learn a ton there and it can really launch your, your business. If you want to do something sooner than that, um, I have a program called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. If you go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com, you can go there, check it out. You can get, um, you know, you can be working directly with me and, and I can help you get started. I've helped hundreds of people get started. I know how to, I know what you're struggling with. I know what you need and, and I can do that for you. Or like I said, go to Flip Hacking Live in October, kind of get around that environment. Tons of people there who are exactly like you. They're trying to get started or maybe they just got started. Um, a lot of different scenarios, but um, there's a link down in the, in the comments down there. You can go and go to uh, bestrealestateevent.com. Uh, that is Flip Hacking Live. Um, tickets are a couple hundred bucks. I don't know exactly what they are now. They keep going up every month because as you get closer to an event, tickets usually get more expensive. They will not be cheaper than they are right now when you're listening to this. So go and grab them before it's too late. I'm going to be there speaking. It's the best event on earth, bar none all year. You'll never go to anything better. So if that you're only going to go to one, go to that one. But like I said, if you want something a little bit sooner, and by the way, there's not mutually exclusive. You can join my program in September and go to Flip Hacking Live. And by the way, that's probably the best thing to do. Honestly, that's what I would do. Um, but do something like get started, like start doing something, take action today, tonight, before you go to bed, take action of some kind. And if that action is buying tickets to Flip Hacking Live, buying into my program that starts on September 7th, like that's action. That's huge action. Actually do that. Get started. My gosh, the worst thing you can do is continue to think about it and, you know, mull it over. Don't, there's no mulling. It's, it works. It's been working for decades, it's been working forever. Like this, this industry is strong, healthy, and it will continue to be. So don't worry about the market. Don't worry about all that. Worry about getting educated, worry about surrounding yourself with the right people, and then worry about taking action. If you do those things, you will be successful. Okay. Last question that I have up here. Uh, we're kind of, well, I feel like we're not going fast, but it is, it is kind of going fast, but that's okay. No big deal. Let's see. This gives that person who asked that question, it gives you time to go take action. If we end a little bit early tonight, you can go take action. All right. I've been investing in real estate on the side while working a full-time job and I'm doing well, but I'm really afraid of letting go of my W2 job. What helped you finally cut the cord to do real estate full-time? So it's different for everybody, but here's the deal. If you're single and you're super young and you live at home, uh, just do it. Like just do it now, right? Just, who cares? You're young, you're single, you live at home, like you have zero like bills and obligations, you should do it. If that's not the case, and let's say you maybe are married and have kids and you have a mortgage and a house and you make a lot of money and like replacing that money is not easy. You might have to take it a different approach. <clears throat> I was more in the second boat. So I was making good money. I had kids. I still do, but I had kids at the time and I was married and had a house and all this stuff. So what I did, because it wasn't just me, I was married, right? So my wife wasn't as um, interested in like diving in and taking all this risk as I was maybe. So what I did was I saved, cause you said you're doing pretty well in real estate. I saved a whole year salary worth of cash in the bank, you know, equal to my W2 yearly salary. I saved up until I had that much money in the bank. And then I quit my job because worst case scenario, um, you can try to get your business off the ground for a year before you have to go back to work or you know maybe 10 months before you have to go back 
and, and go to work. So that gives you a pretty good runway. And if you can't make it work in 10, 10, 12 months and not even come close, like maybe it isn't for you. Maybe it's not a great idea for you, or maybe you're doing something wrong. If you join my program, go to flip hacking live, like you will not fail. But if, if you, I save that your salary, that's how I made it work for me and my family. Uh, but again, everyone's situation is different. I mean, if you're, if you're desperate and you're, you know, like you just want to end your life every time you go to work, cause you're miserable, then maybe you quit now. If your wife's on board and she's good with it, or your husband's on board, he's good with it. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. If someone's, if the person, people in your life that you care about are on board and they say you do it and you want to do it and they say, do it, maybe you do it. Like go, go for it, go after it. But if it's going to cause your relationships to suffer you have to come up with a different strategy that makes sense for people, right? At the end of the day, it's family. It's people that you care about, that care about you. Like you should, you should worry about how this all affects all of them. But uh, like I said, if you're, if you're 20 years old and live in your parents' basement and you don't have any kids or any responsibilities or really any bills, maybe do it now. Like, what are you waiting for? I wish I would have done it when I was 21. That would have been awesome. I would have, I would have been, I, I would be, I don't know what I would be doing own an Island or something, but I, I'd be somewhere, but I know that getting started later rather than sooner was the biggest mistake I ever made. So get out there and, and get started now. Also, I want to tell you guys, um, kind of a fun, uh, interview that I did on my podcast a few days back, um, several years ago when I started my podcast, 2013, uh, I was on the bigger pockets podcast. If you guys aren't familiar with bigger pockets, it's the biggest real estate website on earth. It's also the biggest real estate podcast on earth. Um, they're huge. I was on the 50th episode of bigger pockets back in 2013 or 14. Um, and I got to know, um, the guys that run that podcast in specifically Brandon Turner. Now, if you guys listen to podcasts at all, if you're aware of what's going on in real estate in terms of online or on podcasts, you know, Brandon uh, Turner is the, he's the host, one of the hosts of Bigger Pockets. Great guy. Um, we, we had a lot of good conversations back in the day. I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast about a year ago and Brandon just came out with a new book, actually uh, two books at one time. And so I invited him to come on my show and we had that uh, conversation. I did an interview with him. It was kind of like, you know, reuniting a couple of friends, which was a lot of fun. And we had a good time and it was a long interview, but it was a great interview. Really, really great. Probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And that one is going live on Monday. That's this coming Monday, which Monday is, let's see what day that is. Monday is the 2nd of August. So Monday, August 2nd, if you're listening to this live, it's this coming Monday. If you are not listening to it live, it was August 2nd, but go and check out that podcast. It was a lot of fun and uh, we had a really good time. Brandon's a good dude. And I highly suggest you go out and buy his books on multifamily investing. It is like a complete guide to all multifamily. So we had a good time and I think you guys should go check that out. So you can go to Just Our Real Estate on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, go look for my show, Just Our Real Estate. While you're there, if you enjoy the episode I did with Brandon, Give me a rating and review. It would be awesome. I would appreciate it. It really helps me get found. And uh, I couldn't be more stoked if you would do that. Otherwise, guys, that's all I got for today. We'll be back here next Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I'll see you then. 
All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.